Listener-supported St. Gabriel Catholic Radio AM820 brings you The Seminarians, a dialogue with students from the Pontifical College Josephinum, produced by AM820 to encourage and inspire vocations to the religious life. And now, The Seminarians. Welcome to The Seminarian Show. My name is Jacob Stinnett. I'm a seminarian for the Diocese of Columbus. And joining me in the studio today is Brian Smith, a seminarian for the Diocese of Youngstown. So let's begin in prayer. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. Heavenly Father, we come to you today thanking you for this day, for this time together, um, to speak to you, to speak about you, um, to praise and thank you for all the ways in which we encounter you throughout the day, um, especially in um, statues and images and all those things that we see with our eyes and draw up, draw ourselves up to you in prayer and in praise for all the works you do in our lives. And so we give you thanks with the words of Jesus as we pray. Our Father, who art, who art in, heaven, in heaven, hallowed, hallowed be, be thy, thy name. Thy, thy kingdom, kingdom come, thy, thy will, will be done, done on, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Amen. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. So, Brian, as I mentioned in the prayer, we're going to be talking about um, various images and devotionals that we use as part of our Catholic life. Mm -hmm. Um, We wanted to start off talking, making reference to a show we had several weeks ago about the saints. Um, The saints are, of course, our heavenly intercessors. So they're not um, here on earth anymore, but right. maybe one of the most common ways we encounter the saints, at least with our eyes, is through pictures of them or icons or statues or something like that. Mm-hmm. So there's kind of like a, a general way that we would recognize a saint. Like St. Jude is often going to have the big St. Jude's medal around his yes. neck. Mm-hmm. Um, St. Patrick will often be in green um, for Ireland. Um, uh, saints have their certain things that go with them in their images that can help us identify them. Yeah. Um, right. So um, this is a regular part of Catholic life. Any church you walk into will have a couple statues, maybe a lot of statues depending mm-hmm. on the church. Yes. Um, a painting of maybe the patron saint uh, or some other scene from the gospel. Stained glass windows mm-hmm. um, have images of saints or images from scripture um, in them. So we're surrounded um, in our prayer, by all of these um, visual things, mm-hmm. these images or statues or whatever it may be. Um, and there's kind of a tension almost, at least maybe for someone who's well-versed in Scripture, mm-hmm. um, between the first commandment, which is, I am the Lord your God, you shall have no other gods, or make graven images. Mm-hmm, right. And then this practice from you know very early on, we have, mosaics and paintings from the first Christian century. Yes. Um, so how do these things, like are we breaking the first commandment in our worship all the time? Well, I think the most important point to keep in mind and something that saints throughout history of the church and that we'll especially see in one of the councils of the church draw our attention to is that with Christ, something really distinctive and something that defines our relationship with God happened. And that's that 
with Jesus Christ's birth and with his incarnation, mm-hmm. God takes on you know human flesh. God becomes a man, a person. And for the first time in the history of the world, you know, we can put a face to God. Mm. So the experience that the people of Israel had of God was much different from the experience that we now have of God in church because we have that specific encounter with him. And because of that encounter, you know, we have such a direct way of reaching out to him that affects the way we can even represent him. Mm. So it's thanks to Jesus Christ that we can represent God. And it's thanks to that fact that we also, you know, find value in representing other holy things, including holy people. Right. So we're not going to go and start making golden calves again right. or anything like we that. We only make images of God according to the way he's revealed himself to us. Right. Mm-hmm. We can't go and trying to say other things are God and right. then make any image we want and yeah. start worshiping it. And one of the ways that God reveals himself to us is through his saints. Yes, um, exactly. Which is why we can have these beautiful statues of Our Lady and St. Joseph, mm-hmm. um, in churches or other saints because of the way that they will also lead us to God exactly the example of their lives and you know having an appreciation of the history of images in the in the church I think is helpful too you mentioned even from the earliest centuries Mm -hmm. we have records of them the first few centuries were difficult times for the church absolutely because the church developed in what was the Roman Empire And the religion, the Christian religion, was not looked favorably upon for much of that time. There were a lot of persecutions, um, so the church was in hiding. Right. So in the 4th century, so in the 300s, the emperor has a conversion and Christianity becomes a legal religion and the state religion of the Roman Empire. But for 300 years we have more or less an underground church in many cases. Mm -hmm. So there weren't big church buildings on every corner of Rome like there are now. So the place we go to look for images in that time period is mostly the catacombs Mm -hmm. and some of the small house churches that sprung up in different parts of Rome especially. Yeah. And what are catacombs? Right. So that's a good question. So the catacombs are just underground places, underground tombs essentially connected Mm -hmm. by a series of tunnels. So it's this whole underground network. Um of a graveyard. Yeah, a little subterranean graveyard. Mm-hmm. And in different tombs, you know, where early martyrs would have been buried, mm-hmm. the church would gather, you know, small groups, and at those tombs they would pray and offer the Mass. So on the walls of some of those tombs, we find records of some of the earliest images. And some of the most common early images that we see are the good shepherd, mm-hmm. you know, representing our Lord as a shepherd. Um, we see images of someone with hands raised in prayer. Mm-hmm. And then some other things that might point to Christ, like a lamb, mm-hmm. Christ being the sacrificial lamb, the paschal lamb, representing him that way. We're talking about a period where it was still risky to have really public confession of the faith. So right. Sometimes these images pointed to Christ. And some of them would be... Um, kind of symbolic too, like you have yes. the the fish that you see mm-hmm. on like the back of a lot of people's cars right. now. Um, that's kind of a universal Christian symbol. Mm-hmm. Um, and in Greek, 
the word is ichthus mm-hmm. for fish, um, and they actually use it as an acronym yeah. um, for Jesus Christ, um, Lord and Savior. Mm-hmm. Um, if you were to write out the Greek for that, it would mm-hmm. kind of be an acronym with yeah. ichthus. So this fish symbol, um, not because it's a fish, but because of <laughs> what it stands for, mm-hmm. um, was used as an early Christian symbol that we still use very frequently today. Yeah, pointing to Christ. You know, mm-hmm. And that's a, a really good image just to keep in mind for images and icons in general. People often refer to them as windows, mm. you know, to something higher. Because the image itself is never what we're worshiping. We're not stopping there. Right. They're always leading us to Christ himself or to a relationship with the saint in question. Mm-hmm. So, and even in the case of some of these symbols, you know, they're leading us to Christ. Right. And right. we don't stop with them. Right. It wasn't, uh, the fish wasn't a symbol just because that's what they were eating on Fridays. It was because that's <laughs> what was bringing, giving them, you know, a sign mm-hmm. that, oh, this was where Christians are, people who believe in Jesus Christ, the Son of God mm-hmm. and Savior. One other example that I'll cite, in case anyone has a catechism, it's something you can easily look up in that catechism. Mm-hmm. The green one, the one that has a green cover. Right after page 12, there's an image of what is probably the earliest you know existing image of mary holding the child jesus um and it's from one of those catacombs i I believe it's from the catacomb of priscilla in rome very good and it's from the early centuries of the church as well that time when the church was underground if you will Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. it's beautiful that as a church we've been able to preserve these images too right they kind of Mm -hmm. link us back with our heritage Mm -hmm. Um, this is an image of mary that we've been using um, for prayer for maybe 1,800, 1,900 years mm-hmm. now. So that's beautiful. The church then in the 4th century becomes you know, publicly allowed. Mm-hmm. It becomes a state religion. There's a lot of support behind it. So in that time period, we have some of the bigger churches being built, basilicas, and art becomes a much freer expression. So we have... Even from the 4th century, certain mosaics that still exist. So we have a record from when the church first became, you know, freely able to express herself, imagery was a big part of what that was like, okay? And if anyone ever has the chance to go to Rome, um, one of the churches that you might visit in order to see some of this earliest artwork is um, St. Pudenciana is the name of the church. Hmm. And there's a mosaic in there from the end of the 3rd century, and it's it's an image with our Lord surrounded by a number of the disciples. I believe um, there's even a woman, I can't remember if it's the Blessed Mother or if it's another woman saint. I'm ashamed to say I don't remember. But there's at least eight different saints up around our Lord there. Um, and you can just appreciate how these icons are both depicting perhaps scenes from the Bible and also teaching us things. Christ is in the center. Right. The saints are gathered around him, looking towards him. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Hopefully leaving a spot for us. Right. Someday. <laughs> yeah, these images often do invite us to... Yeah, they draw us in, mm-hmm. um, especially the ones of heavenly scenes, because that's, that's the goal of our Christian life. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So the church continues to build basilicas, cathedrals, and just churches with images in them. Mm -hmm. And then there comes a time when certain people start reacting negatively to the use of these images. And they make make claims similar to the question that you brought up at the beginning of our program. Yeah, they don't have that that distinction that you were talking about that that Jesus makes now that God has a face. Um, Images can be a tool 
to lead us into the Christian life. Um, so that starts a new controversy in the life of the church. Mm-hmm. You've been listening to The Seminarian Show on St. Gabriel Catholic Radio. My name is Jacob Stinnett from the Diocese of Columbus, and joining me today is Brian Smith from the Diocese of Youngstown. Today we've been talking about the use of images, of statues, mosaics, icons, all those sorts of things um, in the devotional life of the church, how it leads us to a relationship with God and the saints, how it helps us pray. Um, And we were just getting into a controversy about images that came up in the 8th century Mm -hmm. um, about whether or not the church should use images. Some people were saying, Mm -hmm. no, no, no. (laughs) Other people were saying, yes, we can. (laughs) Um, So tell us more about this, Brian. Well, at that time in history, the emperor had a really important role in helping the church, you know, make official pronouncements on what she taught and calling together councils. Right. He almost had a position in the hierarchy himself in a way. Right. right? It, it, was a, it was a peculiar arrangement then. Mm-hmm. And um, basically, emperors were going back and forth between supporting and not supporting the use of images. <laughs> yeah. So we get to the point um, where the, the emperor's a child, actually. His father died young, and that child's mother, Empress Irene, mm-hmm. um, is herself in favor of the use of images, and she calls together a council, the Second Council of Nicaea, yeah. the name of it. It's interesting how it's the Empress Irene who does this. Mm-hmm. Irene, whose name means peace, right. finally brings some sort of peaceful resolution to this whole controversy that's fitting. been going on for several decades. And yeah, it makes sense. It's <laughs> been quite a pain for the church to live with. So, so in that council, um, we have some very beautiful language on the use of images, and then at the end of you know the council's pronouncements, we have re- three really clear statements about you know how it is permissible to use images. Mm-hmm. So and not only permissible but encouraged. Yeah, right. <laughs> Actually, the way that the council states it is pretty forceful. It says those who say these things are anathema, meaning you know not approved. <laughs> right. Right. So the three things that the council states says. If anyone does not confess that Christ, our God, can be represented in his humanity, let him be anathema. So Mm. it's saying, you can't deny that Christ can be represented in an image. Right. The second thing, if anyone does not accept representation in art of evangelical scenes, let him be anathema. So there the council is saying, not only can we represent Christ, but we can represent images from his life. Mm -hmm. So things that we hear about in the Gospels. This is something the church recommends and supports. And lastly, if anyone does not salute such representations as standing for the Lord and his saints, let him be anathema. Mm-hmm. So, if anyone doesn't accept that these things can stand for our Lord and lead us to appreciate something about him mm-hmm. and about the holy people who have dedicated their lives to him. Yeah. Um, and that they should be respected and honored as such. Right, yeah. So, yeah. in in the council, in that earlier part, right. um, the... The Council Fathers, you know, cite the historical example of the honor that images have had throughout the history of the church. And they cite things like um, people reaching out to it and even, you know, touching it, burning incense or lighting candles as, you know. So there's ways that you can show devotion to mm-hmm. these images. And for someone who might want to do further research on this council, which council was this all from again? 
The Second Council of Nicaea. Okay, the Second Council of Nicaea gives us all of this. It happened in the year 787. So still in the earlier part of the history of our church, as mm-hmm. far as the, the great you know, 2,000 years almost right. is concerned. Um, and there's, there's a lot of beautiful defense of the use of images. Um, one of the earlier people to defend them was um, St. John Damascene, St. John of Damascus. Mm-hmm. And you know, he says, among other things, that much like we said at the beginning of the show, because God took on human flesh, it's possible to paint an image of God. And he says that if we can't paint God, then how can we claim that he really was one of us, was Mm. a person? Um, So he really very strongly defends this this custom. And he existed even before this council. So that's something to keep in mind, too. Right. A lot of his writings were used at the council as kind of things that the um, church could refer to as Mm -hmm. theologically. This is how we can support and then, um, the use of images. from our own experience, I think we can call to mind how images can be very powerful, and you know, used in the right way, they can really reinforce the good things that we're trying to bring into our lives. Um, one of the fathers of that council, by the name of Theodore, said that nothing is more capable of raising the mind to spiritual things than an image. Mm-hmm. So. Of course, we're always keeping in mind how these images need to be used in the right way and responsibly. Right. I like the way you spoke about them earlier as windows. Mm-hmm. Right. They're, the window isn't in the house for its own sake, but so that way we can look to see what's outside, um, so to lead us into the divine mysteries. And people often cite how you know we commonly keep things that remind us of our loved ones, mm-hmm. whether they're loved ones who are simply away from us because they live in another place, or loved ones who have passed away, we keep things that remind us of them because it helps to make our relationship with them strong. Mm-hmm. And we treat holy images in a similar way. They're strengthening our relationship to God and especially our appreciation of how he came to live among us. Yes. And they're helping us to grow closer to the saints. Exactly. Having that physical reminder there of um, you know, the image of a saint that you might have a particular devotion to. Like I have a picture of St. Catherine of Siena in my room, who's a mm. very powerful intercessor, especially for seminarians and priests. Um, just to remind you, if, in case you know, you're know you busy throughout the day of, oh, I haven't spoken with St. Catherine yet today, and bring her whatever problem it is, or, mm-hmm. or thank her for all the graces that she's um, helped me with that day. Um, so they're good little visual reminders, because even though we are we have this rational soul we can think, we can love, we still have these senses that kind of dominate our lives. Yeah. Um, and so we can use those senses right. to then pull us up to we God. Can, right. We have, we have a few options of how to treat our senses and like, the role they have. We can mm-hmm. try to shut them off. Sure. But then that's really shutting off a really important part of just who we are as human beings. Yeah. And it also doesn't work very well. Right. <laughs> In the end, we, we get to a point where we yeah. realize that it's not entirely effective. So the, another option is to just try to use them in a helpful way, in a right way. Um, you mentioned, you know, something that you do in, in, with the image you have of St. Catherine. Um, mm-hmm. In my time at seminary, I've noticed uh, that different guys have um, just personal ways that they incorporate images into their own life, specifically in their rooms at seminary. Sure. 
so I thought I might share some of the ones that I thought to be more interesting. Yeah, it's nice that we have the freedom to be able to kind of make our rooms our own little yeah. monastic cell in a way, mm-hmm. right? We can add our little devotions to it, um, mm-hmm. whatever they may be. Right, yeah. Once again, you know, we could treat the room as just a place where we go to sleep, or we can try to make it a way to help encourage us in our formation mm-hmm. and in our growth in academic life and spiritual life. So, um, we haven't talked yet about the difference between icons and statues. You know, the, sure. Those are kind of two of the popular ways that a lot of seminarians will decorate their rooms. And these are, in the history of the church, two of the most common ways of depicting mm-hmm. saints and our Lord. An icon is usually more of a painting, mm-hmm. um, and it originates pr- primarily in the eastern part of the church. Right. So that means, you know, in the eastern part of the Mediterranean Sea, over nearer to Greece mm-hmm. and the Holy Land. And these, it's it's funny, the, the language that developed around icons, because as much as we might look at them as a painting, those who make them speak that they write an icon that's what they say about it yeah referencing once again how part of the word of god is somehow being communicated right yeah i think they see writing an icon as a the same thing as maybe someone else would in composing a prayer Mm -hmm. um so it's not that they're just painting as if it's art but they're praying through it so that so that they're writing something even the process of making it Mm -hmm. takes on that spiritual dimension right and icons often have this somewhat weird look about them. Like, they're not exactly a picture or a realistic interpretation. Mm-hmm. And that is one of the ways that sacred images are often trying to just, often trying to teach us something. Right. And it's not just supposed to be a, an exact representation of what something looked like. There's um, maybe a stilted word is to say there's an agenda behind it. Right. right? Like, it's, it's, trying to do something it's not just there to say oh this is what it looked like so but, one example is that when we have an image of our lady and the child jesus the child jesus often looks like a little man mm-hmm. <laughs> you know he looks very old and mature but he's got a small body right small head things like that so you know the iconographer is trying to communicate that you know christ is you know there's something special about him he has the fullness of humanity but he has the fullness of divinity and that comes with wisdom mm-hmm. something that we see for example in his appearance in the temple the finding in the temple how, sure. how the scribes and the, the, the those who studied the law were astounded mm-hmm. by the way he spoke with them right he was only 12 then mm-hmm. but we can appreciate that in the iconography too um one early example of you know an image of christ an icon a famous one is called the Pantocrator, mm-hmm. and there's an example of that from a monastery on the Sinai Peninsula called Saint Catherine's. The Pantocrator is depicting Christ, usually holding a book mm-hmm. of sacred scripture and holding his other hand up in a blessing. And he's often seated in a chair, kind of in a a place of authority and power. Mm-hmm. And this specific Pantocrator has a fun a, a fun way that you can look at it where. Like if you put your hand up and cover one half of the face or the other half, you know, it looks very different. One looks very serene hmm. and clear. The other one looks more serious and, um, I don't know, got something more mystical about it, for lack of a better word. And people see in that image a representation of Christ's divinity and his humanity in the one image. Oh, okay. So another thing, how it's not entirely realistic, but the image is trying to communicate something to us. Right. 
So in the seminary, a few other things that I've seen guys do with either icons or statues, which don't need a whole lot of explanation because people know what, mm-hmm. what those look like. Some guys have on their wall like a collection of holy images. And you know, as seminarians, we tend to come across holy cards pretty easily. Yes, some <laughs> of us have substantial collections. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so you can keep those in a drawer, which I suppose is one way to take care of them but you don't get to appreciate them much that way right. so i've seen guys either just like sticky tack them up along their whole wall mm-hmm. so they have this whole you know array of intercessors that they can turn to holy wallpaper mm-hmm. and i've even seen like string with clothespins you know having a bunch of holy cards dangling from them some guys have that in their rooms and another common thing is to have a little corner or perhaps a tabletop or a dresser top because we don't often have room for tables in our rooms right that's just dedicated to holy images Mm -hmm. so it's almost like having a little altar in your room and this is really something that anyone could do in their home for sure um especially in eastern orthodox and eastern catholic homes it's common to have a little corner with icons yeah yeah so you can put the holy images or Mm -hmm. statues that speak most to you that maybe have your patron saints in them. Mm-hmm. Um, so that way there's a, a special spot in your home, just like we have special spots with our churches mm-hmm. for prayer um, and for uh, meditation or whatever it is yeah. you need. You can light a candle or be like seminarians who have a little electric candle because we're not allowed to have live flames in our rooms. <laughs> right. Right. Yeah. <laughs> um, another popular way to, show devotion to these icons is with incense. Um, mm-hmm. Maybe something that, that you could do in your home, but again, not something that you could probably do in your room at school, um, even though we do use incense all the time in our chapels yeah. um, and whatnot. Smoke so. alarms tend to be a little more sensitive in the dorms. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Which is a good thing. Mm-hmm. <laughs> well, thanks for the chance to talk about sacred imagery. Yes, this has been um, a great conversation, hopefully helpful in informing uh, everyone about the use of images in the church, why we use them, why it's a good thing to use them. Yeah. Um, and I'll leave us with this last quote um, from a Catholic author. He says, Christianity's unique claim is that spiritual knowledge begins with things that can be seen with the eyes and touched with the hands. Mm. So it uses uh, our, our relationship with God is something that involves our whole life, our whole person, mm-hmm. um, both our souls and our minds, but also our bodies and our senses. Mm. This has been uh, the Seminarian Show on St. Gabriel Catholic Radio. All of our episodes are archived at stgabrielradio.com, and we'll close in prayer. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. Hail Mary, full of grace, the, the Lord, Lord is with thee. thee. Blessed art thou among, among women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Holy Mary, Mary, Mother of God, God, pray pray for for us sinners sinners, now and at the hour of our death. death. Amen. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. The Seminarians is a production of listener-supported St. Gabriel Catholic Radio AM820. Archives of The Seminarians and all of our locally produced programs are available at stgabrielradio.com.